0: You're listening to Starting Place, a podcast of Training the Church. Hey, Starting Place family, it's Elizabeth, and today we are continuing our journey through the New Testament, and we're going to zoom in on Jesus' interactions with God the Father. As you read about Jesus' life in the Gospels, several times we see him interact with God the Father. And many times, this is through prayer. So my conversation partner for today, Blair Lynn, and I are going to take a closer look at Jesus' prayer in John 17. We're going to see what it teaches us about the relationship that is available to us with God through Jesus. Now, Blair is an author, a speaker, an actress, and a Christian spoken word artist. She's also the author of Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness. She's a woman who knows and loves God deeply. And I know you're going to be blessed by our conversation. Blair, you and I have been doing some traveling and been on the road. And traveling, like, after a while, you learn how to do it well. Like, you got to have a couple Mm. hacks. And so kind of what's your favorite (laughs) travel tip, travel thing that you Mm. always bring with you?
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that actually I just started doing, I always used to carry my bag with me. And now I just check my bag. Okay. Like, I don't want to deal with my bag. So I'm just gonna pay the money <laughs> and check what, right? So if you don't want to deal with your bag, just okay. check it. So that's kind of my most recent thing that I've been okay. doing. Okay,
0: okay, works. It works. Mm-hmm. It is like you gotta find <laughs> what's gonna bring down the stress levels for you because listen, the Damn. airport, plane, yes. the people they right. are made in the image of God, but they will take you to <laughs> limits. I just is like cool. it's, it can be a lot, so I always like asking people their kind of travel hacks what makes it easier for them. I always wear like. Immediately after I go through TSA, I put my headphones on and I'm like in my happy place of like peaceful music as I'm just trying to make it to my gate, probably running late. But that's like my favorite thing to do. (laughs)
1: Yes. You know, too, I was going to say is TSA pre-check is worth the cost. Yes. It's not a whole lot of money, but just to be able to get through very quickly. And it's funny because I was recently traveling with my husband and he forgot to put my pre-check number so he's he's <laughs> right uh, yeah he's like speeding through and I'm like oh wait I gotta take my shoes off they had to give me a special pass I'm like I was yeah so I was um wasn't too happy for a moment yeah yeah had to pray <laughs> like lord help me
0: <laughs> bring it together
1: when you don't get your comfort <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so we made, we made it, it. We made we made it. it. Right. yeah I will I will <laughs>
0: echo that it is worth the money it just is. And you do get there. You're like, yeah. I don't want to take off my shoes. I don't want to take my stuff out of my bag. Why? 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 Right? It's like <laughs> TSA precheck makes a difference. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Blair, for joining us for our kind of conversation as we continue through the New Testament. We've jumped in. This is kind of one of our first episodes of the season. And so last week we talked about just who Jesus says he is and like how we have to wrestle with the fact that he is God and he brings us life. And there's so much joy we get with connecting to the Lord. But in order to connect with him, we have to do things on his terms and not our own. And so, as we look at his life present for us in the Gospels, I think we just learn a lot by how he interacts with the people that he comes in contact with. And we see that kind of in two different groups one is just the different people, but then also how he interacts with God himself, and particularly God the Father. And so, as you've read through the Gospels, Blair, kind of what are the places in which you see Jesus interact with God, the father kind of like what's happening in maybe one or two of those situations.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's actually beautifully displayed all throughout the gospels. But one of the things I think about specifically is just when Jesus prays, you know, and there's one prayer in particular, which is, um, you know, it's in John chapter 17, which is known as like the high priestly prayer you see, Jesus praying for himself, he's interceding for himself, he intercedes for his disciples, and then also he intercedes for the church, or to those who would be disciples from the apostles' uh, testament, uh, whether that was a verbal testimony of them making disciples, or also through the written word that they would jot down. And so, yeah, so, you know, I just opened up John 17, there's just some lines that just stand out yeah. to me a little bit that I wanted to read, but You know, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. He says, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Um, Another one is in verse five. It says, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Verse 10, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. In verse twenty-four, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because I loved, because you love me before the world's foundation. So those are just some of the lines that stick out, but just a beautiful picture of what Christ is praying right before he goes to the cross. Just get us, you get a, you know, to zoom in on what's on his mind, what is what's important to him, uh, what is he saying as he verbalizes this prayer to his father.
0: Yeah, you know, the the prayer is, is such a great space because it's such an intimate space, right? Like you, you see, Amen. like you said, you see the overflow of his heart and his true desires for how he wants, for him reflecting the truth of his connection with God, but how what he also wants God the Father to do for his followers and for his disciples. And so I think another place I think about is when he's in the Mount of Olives, and so you think about it, Luke 22. Yes. And he's asking the father, man, if this cup can pass from me, can we do that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Can we please? <laughs> can we please? Is there another way? Um, right. And just, but not, but my, not will, my will, right? but your will. Yeah. But if you want your will to be my will, I'll go with that too. Um, okay, exactly. And so it just, I think for me, it's the intimacy of like, he's in a really, really, really vulnerable place. And as he cries out to the Lord in that space, you see just his honesty, but also his willingness to submit to the will of the Father. And just again, yeah. this like intimacy of relationship that he would even do that. And the passage itself just speaks to just the the level of emotion and the weight of what's on our Savior's shoulders at that moment for obvious reasons. But it just is, I think prayer is such a beautiful place to see that relationship at work because of that intimacy of connection. And so, Blair, even as you, we kind of think back to John 17, how would you say that passage helps us have clarity about how does Jesus view God the Father? And how do you think he thinks God the Father views him? And so I'm I'm asking this because I want to use it as a jumping board to how we need to connect with God the Father, but how would you say that relationship, what characterizes their connection, how would you describe it based upon that passage you read?
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there you see specifically with Christ that his humanity is emphasized, but also his divinity is emphasized in the text. Um, so, you know, even it starts off in verse one, it says, Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven. You know what I mean? Like, so we see, okay, he's human. You know what I mean? He's looking outside of himself, um, to pray to his heavenly father and, You know, just a couple of chapters earlier, you know, he says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I think some people can take that out of context and assume that there's a sameness between God the Son and God the Father. But here he just clarifies, you know, he's looking up. He says uh, in verse 4, I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So we just see that beautiful submission there of you know, I'm doing the work that my father has placed upon, you know, has given me. We see in verse eight, I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. So again, this emphasis on his humanity and, you know, recognizing the father's authority. So there's a beautiful display there. And then also his divinity, which is so clear, I think, in some of the Verses that I read earlier, just speaking about glory and just the unity between the son and the father. So yeah, this glorify your son, right? So he may glorify you, glorify me in your presence. You know, and this word for glory is really just being able to see God for who he is, to see him in all of his fullness. And sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to be able to grasp that, you know, but it's like, we're talking about God, we're talking about being able to... Behold the divinity of the one who is filled with all majesty and splendor and brilliance and beauty and, and holiness, right? There's a reverence uh, there that, you know, we see other points in the text where, in the scripture, where people will fall down, right? No one shall see me and live, right? that <laughs> yeah. like, like, this is holy, not only holy ground, but this I'm a holy person. And, and so what does it look like to revere him? And so Jesus is saying okay, the Father and I are united here in this glory, right? There's there's a a unity, you know, and essentially, yeah, there's a unity there, you know, within the Son and the Father. And so these these shared attributes, I think, are put on display in a very beautiful way because, yeah, no human being, someone who's solely human could say that, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm going to share in this glory that we had before the world existed. <laughs> you know, what I mean like it's like what? Yeah. You like you're lying. Yeah. um uh, but Jesus can say that because he is 100% God and 100% man and you know. So I just love that, you know, being able to see Christ is his character on display um and the Father's character on display in this prayer. Yeah.
0: The humanity and divinity and it's just that we would we would clearly see both of those, you know, and, and throughout history we kind of wade into waters that might be considered slightly heretical when we under <laughs> overemphasize either of those, right? Like they, we hold them in tension, right? And again, uh, and as I hear you talk, you know, what I'm just reminded is the beauty of how both of those work together, and like you see God's holiness. Um, and now, I have to think about Israel and their relationship with the Word. And how you have all of these sacrifices, you have all of these things that they have to do in order to get near to God. Right? You just have this element of proximity throughout scripture because of God's holiness. And so I think about, you know, you see that with Jesus. You see him recognize and speak of God's holiness, but then also him being a part of that. He himself is holy. And I think about how we get to come near to God through Jesus. And so the magnitude of what we see displayed about God through Jesus's conversations with his father, the magnitude of what we receive through Jesus in light of that. But then like, as also, as you talked about, he honors the father, like it is a submission. It is, you know, he's like, I can't tell you that. Like the father is the only one who knows the day or the time. uh, I can't give you that information that there is this this honoring of, man, I'm here to fulfill the will of my father. And again, we see that, that if there's ever a mismatch, that the father is the one who I am going to, I'm going to choose his way. And we see that perfectly through Jesus, that he can come and and be in relationship, but that relationship has specific requirements. That relationship has specific boundaries. And we see Jesus do that perfectly, right? So it's not that he's struggling with this or that he is stepping out of whatever boundaries exist. We just see the relationship in perfection. It then gives us some, I think, some sort of glimpse of what our relationship as uh, followers of Jesus, what our relationship of God the Father looks like. And so as you think about what we learned from Jesus, kind of Blair, like, what are some things that you see might be helpful for us to, under- to know in order to understand how we ought to relate to God the Father?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we see the importance of Jesus, Um, even as you said, in that old sacrificial system, you know, the uh, Israelites would have had to adhere by bringing, you know, bulls and goats and rams, you know, bringing their sacrifices again and again. So it is, it's, it's pretty revolutionary. I think when Jesus says, you know, I am the way, I am truth, right? I am life, no one comes to the father except through me, you know, that here's a way that God, the father has chosen to use through his son as a means of grace to us to be able to know the father, right? So, you know, Jesus like, you know, I'm from heaven. I, I am from the father and I'm going to reveal to you the way to have this relationship with him, a permanent relationship, not based upon your own worth because you cannot (laughs) be accepted by your own works, but it's going to be based upon my works. It's going to be based upon what I, what I will do. And, and so even, you know, in the prayer we see Jesus interceding, but, you know, shortly after the prayer, we'll see Jesus being a mediator, mediating through his blood, right? Through his sacrificial death on the cross. And I think just showing the importance of that, you know, God is holy. God, the father is holy. We by nature are not holy. So You know, I think that's man's greatest dilemma. How can a sinful human being be reconciled to a holy God? Well, all of our ways or our attempts, they fail us. And so Jesus, he comes to say, listen, I am the only one, the God man, right, who can condescend because I am human. I'm taking on flesh. Um, I'm able to actually perfectly obey the will of my father, perfectly keep the law, perfectly do And succeed in every way that Adam, the first Adam, failed. And yet also, I am divine, right? So, you know, I go to the cross, but I will resurrect because I'm not dying for my sins, right? I'm dying for the sins of humans, you know, so I will resurrect from the grave, showing that I'm divine, showing that I'm innocent um, and do not deserve death because I've done no wrong and be resurrected. And I am the one who's actually able to make you righteous. I'm the one who's actually able to forgive your sin through my sacrifice because I'm divine. And so that's the beauty of needing both, needing a mediator, right, who can fill in the gap, you know, and do. Because if if God, if God the Father came down and didn't take all flesh, we would have died. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, again, like I said, no one can enter my presence and live or see me and live, Right. And so Jesus is able to be that mediator to help us. And then with his perfect sacrifice, praise God that the father actually accepts him and then now accepts us as we trust in him, right? And we're united to Christ. And so, yes, I think it's just a beautiful picture of that relationship and and how important it is in order for us to actually be engrafted into it, because um, that's that's the goal that the father had from the beginning for us yeah. yeah
0: yeah I think it's it's as I as I think about even the John 17 of what you read it just is that that you see so much of this connectivity it's like this life source in that like you said the only way that we get to that is to Jesus right we see the necessity for of how I live and move in the world necessitates a connection with God uh, we see the beauty of it with God Jesus and God the Father it's just like the only way you get to this it's through me. And mm-hmm. of all the other ways that we try to find life and we try to find what we need to move through this world and we find those things in other created things is that Jesus makes it possible for us to come here. Like even as you were you were saying, if, if God the Father had come and not put on flesh, <laughs> listen, it would not have been. what <laughs> <Right. laughs> you want to be because so much of scripture is that you on your own, do not have the holiness or righteousness to come near to a holy and perfect God. And that Jesus came, God the Son came to earth, put on flesh, walked in in our world that we might have the opportunity not to just uh, to be saved for eternity, but experience abundant life now as well. Because we get this consistent communion and we get this consistent ability to have conversation. The fact that God invites us to speak to him in prayer and answers us is because of Jesus. And what you see is this really beautiful communion that is a source of life that we all desire, but it only comes to Jesus. And yeah. that is the crux for our moment because we all want to do things our own way. And scripture says what's available to you and it's here, but there's only one road and one door. And that throughout his ministry is something that people have to wrestle with. Uh, that it's not right. like you, it's one door, the door's name is Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. But the thing is, though, we wouldn't have an issue with that uh, related to other things, you know, in the sense of if I said, you know, if you're on the bus, (laughs) you don't have a car. I'm like, oh, you can have my car, but, you know, it's parked in my garage and you got to come to my house to get it. Right. Right. We would be totally okay with that, you know. With them, for some reason, when it comes to, you know, Jesus being the only way, you know, we want to buck against against that. It's like, well, we have a remedy where we had none. Do you know what I mean? Like, praise be to God. Come through the door. Come through
0: the door. (laughs) It's like there was no opportunity for you. Like, it's not that there's like another kind of good option that might be available to you. There is no other option. And it's like, right. get yourself and walk over to my house. So you can get in the car, <laughs> my garage, like make right. a way, you exactly. know, and then sometimes right. I think we see the limitations and we don't see the grace, like we don't see the grace is extended to us that he would even come, um, that he would even decide to say, I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, because sin is not his problem, it's our problem. And God, I always like to say he chooses to fi- help fix our mess. Um, and that's the grace of a good, good father. Yes. I believed, and uh, I'm always willing to be told that I'm wrong, that as beautiful as we see the relationship between Jesus and God the Father and what's made available to us to step into that beauty, that sometimes there are things that block that for us. And one thing I think is our earthly relationships. We just have a hard time engaging with God as Father because of the earthly relationships, whether with its friends or family members or our own physical Father. And so, Blair, why do you think this is? Kind of why do you think that our earthly relationships and those dynamics block us from really experiencing the beauty of the relationship with our heavenly father?
1: Yeah. It's I think oftentimes because those relationships just seem more tangible, you know, like I can see you. Yeah. You're right here in front of me. I can touch you. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to, you know, to have that same experience with God because it's like I can't see you, you, you know, and and it, it's interesting because I think even with the disciples, you know, you think about, you know, the impact that they had and some of them had an impact, I think, in a very positive way. We see that overall. But then there was some negative, I think, impacts potentially that were had. So you think about, like, look at all of the work that the disciples did, right, in crafting the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit and making disciples, right, and being able to, like, just seeing the impact of the gospel and how it spread, even to us, right, in, in this day and age. Um, but I also think, like, even, you know, the next chapter over, you see um, Peter, you know, where Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. Oh, no, oh, no, I wouldn't deny you, you know. But it's like, well, what was the impact on that serving girl? They say, well, weren't you with Jesus? You know, oh, no, no, you know. And and I think it's a cautionary tale, you know, for us as believers, you know, that we, you know, as the scripture says, we can't say we love God and and hate our brother that we see every day. And I think that's the beauty of, you know, how God connects those great commandments, you know, to say, like, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you need to love your neighbors yourself. You can't do one without doing the other. You can't say, I love God, without actually practically obeying God through specifically how you love your neighbor. And I think it can be very easy for us to say a lot of things and boast, or even just have a lot of theology, you know, maybe in our camps. But how it works itself out practically is like, "Mm, I don't really know how to apply it. Or I might be living hypocritically and, and we do have to be careful, you know, Lord help me, you know, to be careful to make sure that I'm practically loving my neighbor and I'm not being a stumbling block. To them, we've heard so many times uh, from so many people who, you know, have been thoroughly encouraged and blessed by the church. And at the same time, we've heard from so many people who've been so discouraged by the church, you know, or hurt at times by the church. Uh, And those are real things. Some people are wrestling with some true hurt and true anger behind maybe how they were mistreated in the church. And Lord willing, um, they will see God's character remains the same. No matter, you know what I mean. Despite the people, Um, but also the prayer is that as believers will be mature enough to ask for forgiveness and make things right, to not be a stumbling block. Because there are scriptures that talk about whether being a yeah being a stumbling block for your brother or being a stumbling block for a child. You know, like we see throughout the text that you can get in the way of someone being able to serve the Lord freely. Um, Now I know that the Lord is sovereign. I know the Lord is able to meet us even in the midst of our hurt and our pain. I've experienced church hurt, uh before, you know, and the Lord has certainly met me in his faithfulness. Sometimes it just takes some time, but even, you know, yeah, I just encourage even those who might be dealing with that to not let that keep you from the character of God and, and knowing his faithfulness. Even you talk about the glory of God and the majesty and, you know, the beauty of God, those things don't change. Um, And because we're fallen sinners, you know, we need, and we got a lot of work to do. We're still being sanctified, you know, and matured. We need grace. We need the grace of God and we need the Lord's help and the spirit's help to be able to walk this out so that we can do it well, you know? So, yeah. So I see both of those things, you know, I see people sometimes getting in the way and then also people being used as a great tool, a great means of of blessing and mercy to encourage whether discipleship, people have grown in the Lord and blossom and they're flourishing because of because of the church, because of the imperfect church, yep. you know. So
0: yeah. it's that there are some really powerful ways in which we can show people God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion as an image bearers so that we represent him to show the world who he is. And you know, like, I, like you said, there's some really wonderful throughout history, beautiful things that church has done. I think about people for me who've just shown me so much compassion and shown me, you know, so much. You're like, Elizabeth, you don't have to be perfect. Like, you're welcome here. You're loved here. We, we, you belong here. Uh, and just how that's a reflection of how God welcomes us. But yeah. it's alongside those stories, I got other stories, you know, and I know you got stories. I know if you're listening to this, this podcast, you got stories where people didn't do that. And it is, it can be hard to say, God, how can you be good and your people aren't good? How can you be merciful and your people aren't merciful? How can you say that, man, I'm accepted by you, but I'm not accepted in this place because I don't have the right, you know, pedigree or education or socioeconomic status or skin color or whatever it may be. You know, how can your people, how can the gospel be true when your people do such horrible things? And... You know, that tension within ourselves to say, if what I see isn't trustworthy, then what I don't see probably isn't trustworthy either. And that's a real, like, that's a real tension. And again, what uh, scripture it shows us is that God is who he is in perfection. That I think sometimes that, and what we do really is we are taking whoever I see in this world is, is I'm going to project that back onto God. And instead it's like, no, this is a broken version Sinful, whatever it is, whatever these people lack, God has in perfection. And that there are moments when that's hard to believe, but that we would are persist in believing it because it in fact is true. One of the areas in which I think I've heard people specifically as I've talked to, I think it obviously affects both men and women, uh, but this dynamic of making it difficult is fatherlessness. And yeah. so in your book, Finding My Father, you share your own journey with fatherlessness. And so can you just share a little bit about that? And just how I think yeah. you speak to it in the book, um, but just how a stronger view of who God is helped you find healing in that space of difficulty and brokenness with your dad.
1: Yeah. So be like one in four, um, you know, children who are here in America. I was raised by a single mother. Uh, my father wasn't in the home. He was 2000 miles away uh, from us. And so There was just so much brokenness there. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. We would have phone conversations here and there with each other. But still, there wasn't that intimate knowledge. And, you know, as I began to grow, I mean, we struggled in so many ways as a result of, you know, I struggled as far as fatherlessness is concerned. Um, I struggled with poverty. I struggled with authority. um, I struggled with my identity. So I remember, yeah. At eighteen, guys starting to express interest, and I'm like, "Hmm, I don't even know. Like, what should I be looking for in a guy? You know, who am I?" Kind of went through this, like, identity crisis. Um, And and what I realize is, a couple years after that, I came to the Lord. I came to the Lord when I was 22 years old. And when I came to when I came to the Lord, you know, certainly I would pray, like we often do, our Father or dear Heavenly Father. But the idea of God being my father really had not penetrated at all. I looked at God as more like a judge, which he is a judge, uh, a righteous judge who had forgiven me of my sin, but I didn't see like the scripture talks about this loving heavenly father, or even as we see this relationship that the son has with the father um, on display, it wasn't something that really had settled into my heart and So the concept of God loves me, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's tolerating me, you know, because it was hard for me not to see God through the lens of that broken relationship with my father. And so it's like, well, I don't know, my father loves me because he's not here, you know? So how can I, you know, make the connection to a God who I can't see, you know, even as we mentioned, with my physical eye. And so, um, it took time for me, I'm talking like years, you know, to be able to study the scripture and understand more and more about who the father is. And one of the things that really hit me was realizing that fatherhood did not begin with Adam, (laughs) but it actually begins with God. And, and so, this broken lens by which I viewed God and saw the world through, it was time for those lenses or those glasses to come off and for me to allow God, the Father, to reveal who he is. I remember when I was a new believer, because I was raised in the church, there were certain words that, you know, you say grace, faith, you know, you say these words. And I remember thinking like, but what do they mean? You know, like, I want to know. And who cares if I'm going to be looked at? You know, I was like. As immature or whatever, I want to know, you know? And so doing the same thing with fatherhood, I mean, well, you know, we can make all of these assumptions because we have the language, we have the Christian jargon, but what does it mean that God is my father? And and I began to allow the scripture to teach me versus my brokenness or dysfunction, right? From my experience being in a fallen world um, to teach me. And I began to see, well, wait. <laughs> Being able to observe the beautiful relationship that God, the son has with God, the father. And then for Jesus to say, he wants us to have that too. Like he wants us to be united, you know, even later on in the high priestly prayer, what does he say at the end? He says, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. What? You know, like me, (laughs) you know and so having to wrestle through those insecurities of not knowing who i am because i do think our earthly fathers a big part of their responsibility is instilling identity we see that and we see that often in the text and and so not having that i have to say okay god well who do you say that i am you know like you minister to me and you pour into me your truth and there was a scripture in ephesians uh, that really stood out to me which says in love ephesians 1 in love He predestined us for adoption, right? And, you know, wait, okay. Now you can argue whether in love is it attached to, you know, the previous (laughs) verse, you know, that verse, I don't know if that's verse four or five, it's somewhere in there, but this was not a transaction, you know, that God was doing. This is, this is God's will. This is his, his desire is that we would be predestined for adoption that, and what does that mean? That we would actually be have the access to our heavenly father through Jesus, right? Through his sacrificial death and through his resurrection, we now have access. We have union with Christ, which allows us to have the same benefits (laughs) as Jesus. What? You know, mind blown. (laughs) Like we have access to all of these blessings, you know, that the father has with the son and has had for an eternity. And so, being able to settle in into that, and and be able to ask God for the faith to receive that, and I, and of course, it's still a process. It's not like I have it all figured out. Like, oh yeah, I got adoption. Damn, <laughs> you know, it's we're constantly understanding these benefits that we have, and that's that's the rest of our lives as believers uh, is being able to glory in God, you know, to to praise Him as we understand more and more who He is and who we are in him. And so that really began to shift my view of, uh, yeah, I do have a father, you know? I have an earthly father, certainly. There's a lot of fallenness there. (laughs) But what does it look like even to honor my earthly father? Um, What does it look like to begin? And, And that took time, the time of a process of healing to be able to say, okay, let me pray for my father. Let me find ways to be thankful for my father. Let me try to sit down and have a conversation with him and understand him. And it was interesting even to hear him communicate, I didn't have my father in my life, you know, like there's just this repeated cycle sometimes that happens. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with you as an individual. I think as children, we often, you know, we're used to centering things around ourselves. And so we assume, well, if, you know, my father isn't in my life, it must be me, you know, uh, must have something to do with me, but no. Oftentimes, our parents are making decisions on their own, apart from us, and we we unfortunately reap the you know the harsh uh, repercussions of those decisions. However, I think what's beautiful in adoption is now we have a a, a God who is our Father, but we also have a church who is our family. <laughs> you know, and again, as we talked about, for some people that hasn't always been a safe space. But it should be a very safe space. And, you know, my prayer is that we all would be at a healthy local church where we have people around us who can love us and even by God's grace begin to fill in some of those gaps that maybe we didn't have because of our earthly parents not being, you know, a part of our lives like they should or would be as far as God's plan, his original intention for family, you know, to be able to see, okay, God has a plan here. You know, and he's working things out and he has a heart for the fatherless, you know. And so learning all of those things, you know, really has has helped me to begin to see, wait, you know, because God is my father, it really does make all the difference in my story. Um, And it really can make all the difference in your story, no matter how hard it's been, no matter the difficulties. Like God is able to heal and to restore, (laughs) Um, And he is doing that in his way. And at one time, (laughs) it will all be restored, right? All these groanings that we have, it will all come to a head, you know, when Christ comes back. But in the process, he's healing us and he's working things out in his way. So to continue to trust him in this process,
0: you know. Amen. So good. So good. You know, I appreciated how you mentioned several times that it was a journey, Like it didn't happen overnight and it took time. And uh, it sounds like God met you in that place over and over and over again. And just the beauty of thinking, we serve a God who heals, We serve a God who recognizes the things we lack and has a capacity to fill them, has a capacity to be to us in perfection, what we don't receive, what we receive in imperfection from other people. And those wounds go deep and that he's able to get to the bottom and bring healing. But like you said again, that what we have now is in part we get fullness and restoration in a world without any need to 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 heal from these things because we will live in, in a perfect reality with God, and that's also the blessing, right? Like it gives us hope because uh, as people might be listening, and saying, "Okay, Elizabeth, you know, Blair, that sounds really nice, but my process has been rocky and it's been bumpy." And you know, we know that we have a hope that in spite of the difficulty that there is a future that awaits us without the difficulty. Like the pain is an end date. Life with God does not. Larry, if if there is someone listening and they're kind of struggling um, in this place, kind of maybe what's one thing that you might share with them as a person who's been down the road that they are trying to walk down?
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say is that God sees, you know, he is the God who sees. And throughout the scriptures, we see his heart is so clear specifically for the fatherless. Like there are so many texts, <laughs> a lot in the Old Testament, you know, they, like he's near even to the brokenhearted. Right now I'm in Job. Job is talking about his care for the fatherless. Like this was something that, especially especially those who were those who were righteous and those who were wise, those who feared God, they also often had a heart for the fatherless. And then we see, uh, what is it in James? You know, this is the, true religion that all believers are called to. And so to me, that gives me a lot of comfort. God doesn't like, he doesn't um, tell us to lie about our pain. He doesn't like sugarcoat how hard it is uh, to live in this fallen world. He gives like the space that we need to be able to acknowledge how hard it is. And then he says, and it's okay to grieve. I feel like we don't spend enough time, even in like (laughs) the, um, the books which allow us to lament (laughs) Lamentations, Psalms, you know, Job, Ruth, um, you know, all these books that we have that, like, it teaches us how do we lament? How do we cry out to God? How do we grieve? And sometimes that process is long, but just knowing that God is near. and, And he actually, he calls the church to do something about the fatherless, right? To care for the fatherless. He calls those who are leaders to be just, Right to make sure that they are not taking advantage of those who are fatherless. So I think just knowing that God cares, knowing that he's near, right? That he's with you in the midst of it. And he's, man- he's given a mandate to the church to care well for you, to make sure you're not forgotten or overlooked. I hope is an encouragement to you. You know, like he says in this world, you will have trouble. So he, he doesn't like, Jesus doesn't say like, oh no, you know, he's like, but I've overcome the world, right? You can take heart. Don't be surprised when the fiery trials come, right? Peter says, um, these trials will be here. There will be hardship. And yet this isn't the end. And I think we have to find hope in the end. We have to find hope in the fact that our savior is going to return. We certainly can't find hope here. I mean, even if you had the best father, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like he's still imperfect, And we still have to prioritize our heavenly father above the best earthly father we've ever had. And so, yeah, like God is still greater (laughs) and our hope, what we're looking forward to is still so much better than what we experience here in this life. And so that has to be our hope. And I don't say that again to minimize our pain because the Bible doesn't, like our God doesn't, uh, but he does let us know what's better, what's greater. Uh, And we have to hold on to that.
0: Yeah. You know, every week we end with the same question. And I was going to ask you it, (laughs) but I feel like you just answered it. (laughs) And so, I mean, if there's something else you want to add, I want to give you the space to do that. But it's just this idea of hope that our God is present with us. And we only get that presence through Jesus, that he recognizes the brokenness. He recognizes the difficulties and the wounds. And he walks as slowly as we need to walk through that healing process. But we have hope for a future. And that hope comes through Jesus. So Blair, I will let you have any final words you have for the saints. And then we could talk about this forever, but we only have so much time. Uh, But (laughs) any final thoughts uh, when it comes to Jesus's interactions with his father and how that and what that means for us as God's people?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I thought about just specifically kind of taking it back to the high priestly prayer in John 17 was how personal his prayer was and is and that. He specifically had us in mind, you know, like so, you know, he's praying for you, you know, those who are listening, he's praying specifically for you. He's he's about to go to the cross for you, for right, for all who would place their trust in the Lord. And and so just to know that the gospel and the cross and the resurrection, what all that Christ has accomplished is personal. It has to be personal for us. It has to it has to like trickle down into our hearts and 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 flow through us, right? Where it makes it makes an eternal impact, but it makes it now in our lives. And and so that's that's just the thought that I had is, you know, God had us specifically in mind. God, you know, as I said, he he desired for us to be adopted. And so, and that was a plan he had before the foundation of the world. This was between the Godhead, you know what I'm saying? Like. And I I say that it's personal not to make it about us, because this isn't centered around us. It's about God. But I do think sometimes we can be so heady, we forget that God loves us. (laughs) God loves us, and he desires to be near to us. And so he's made a way for that. And so, you know, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, like, that's real. You know what I mean? Like, he is making a way for us. And so, yeah, that we would continue the rest of our days to dig in, you know, to seek him more and to get to know God uh, for who he is, so that we can worship more rightly. We can fear his name and stand in greater awe
0: of him. Amen. Amen. And we we get to experience the overflow of love that comes from our trying God. It's made available to us. We are transformed by it. It is present with us. The thought that it's like you said, he had us in mind and the intentionality of a God who created all of the universe and galaxies and all the things that he had you in mind and his love overflows to us and that we would believe that uh, even in the moments where it doesn't feel like that, uh, so that we can experience the intimacy and communion we see God have with his father is available to us simply through belief in Him. Blair, thank you.
1: Thank you. This yes. is great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Relationship. Committed, intimate communion with God. That is what we get because of Jesus. That our relationship with God both transforms and heals. It is beautiful, but it also requires us to honor and submit to Him. That when we come to understand who God is, we don't use our external relationships as a standard, but God is a standard. No matter how people treat us, we see God in perfection. He's always good. He's always perfect. He's always kind. He's always just. He always seeks our good. And the one to whom that we have eternal life with. And so as we think about Jesus' life and what we read in the Gospels, if we want to know what a relationship with God looks like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. So my final thought or question for you is this. How would your relationship with God change if you approached him with the same love and trust that we see Jesus do in the Gospels? Thank you for listening to Starting Place. This podcast is designed to serve as an introduction, helping you understand and grow in your Christian faith. So if you're interested in learning more about today's topic or connecting with our guest, please check the show notes for more information. And if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, we'd love it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the show and connect with us. Until next time, grace and peace, y'all.